One of the uh, common questions I get asked by Christians thinking about how God's plans and purposes are being accomplished in this world, as we look at the sweep of biblical history, and as we look towards the future, people ask, what about Israel? Does God still have a plan for those who are descended from Jacob, those who are ethnically Israelites? Because we know the promises of God in the Old Testament belong to us who believe in Christ. Those who have the faith of Abraham are the true children of Abraham. Those who come under Jesus, the King of Israel, are the true people of God. In Christ, all God's Old Testament promises are fulfilled and, and those of us who are in Christ are heirs to them all. And, well, what about the Jews? Is there anything left for them? Can they be saved? And if so, how? And will they be saved? These ancient people of God, has, has God rejected them completely? Or does he still have plans for them? Any answer to such questions must take into account at least two big things. First of all, we must remember it was to the Jews that Jesus said things like this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who rejects the Son will not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. All this, paraphrase a little. If you were Abraham's children, you would not be trying to kill me. No, your father is the devil. And this. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. They bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you might have eternal life. Jesus was very clear that there was no salvation for the Jews who rejected him. And then we must also know that the Old Testament prophecies concerning the return of Israel to the land and the subsequent kingdom are, are all fulfilled in Christ. The prophets were painting the picture of the future in terms of the past. And when you look at it carefully, you've seen it's, it's picture language. It's Eden, it's the garden, it's David, it's the Exodus, it's, it's Jesus and the kingdom. It's the new creation. And the prophetic books of the Old Testament don't lead us to hope for a, a separate nation of Israel that is the people of God now in the same kind of way that the Old Testament Israel were the people of God. Uh, the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises are in Christ and his kingdom and his people. And yet, is there still some plan for the descendants of Jacob? Or has God completely written them off? Well, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul gives us the answer to that question in our passage today. Before we look at it though, let's just remember the context we're in, where we're up to in the book of Romans. You remember in Romans 1.16, we saw the gospel is God's power for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And a Gentile is everyone who is not a Jew. We saw from the second half of chapter 1, right through the middle of chapter 3, that both Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. And both need the gospel. And then in the second half of chapter 3, we learn about God's rescue. How Jesus died on the cross to take our place under God's just wrath so that we can be declared not guilty, or use the technical term, justified by faith in Him. And that was for both Jews and Gentiles. 
And in chapter 4 we saw that, that, that we, see, we receive this justification by faith. That is by trusting in God's promises. And we saw the Jewish heroes of the past like Abraham and David. They also received it. They also were right with God on the basis of trusting God's promises. And in chapter 5 we saw that because we are justified we have peace with God. We stand in grace. We look forward to glory. In chapter... In chapter 6, we saw that we've been transferred to a, to a new realm, not longer under the law as in the Old Testament, but living as slaves of righteousness, the new boss. The new realm of the Spirit, which we looked at in chapter 7. In chapter 8, we were reminded the Spirit leads us to holiness, that as God's chosen, predestined people, God is working everything for our good, that is to make us more and more like Christ and take us to glory. But then in chapter 9 we saw, well, we asked, what about those who are not chosen? And we saw how devastated Paul was that many of his own people, the Jews, weren't. And most of them had rejected Christ and were, and were destined for God's wrath. But we saw that it wasn't because God's word had failed. And it wasn't because God was unjust. And we saw that in the end God is perfectly right to do what he was doing. He was choosing some to be saved and some not to, both from the Jew and the Gentile, to make his glory known. And then last week in chapter 10, we saw the other side of the coin. On the human responsibility side, we saw that Israel didn't get righteousness because she was trying to get it by observing the law and not by faith in Jesus. Salvation comes by faith and faith comes by hearing God's gospel word through his messengers. Israel heard the message, but they didn't believe. And so the question that arises is the question Paul asks in verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask then, he says, has God rejected his people? Has he decided to repudiate the race of Israel? Has he given up on them because of their sin? Has he said the gospel will go to the Gentiles, so forget the Jews? And what does he say? By no means. God has not given up on his people. God has not given up on the Jews. And Paul is going to make two main points in addressing that. First he's going to talk about the present, and then he's going to talk about the future. And in the present, as he writes this, he himself is living proof that God has not abandoned his people. He continues in verse 1, By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. There is no way to say that God has rejected ethnic Israel, the descendants of Jacob, because he himself was an ethnic Israelite, and he was saved. And there were many others like him. And so the Spirit continues through Paul in verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Look, they killed your prophets, they demolished your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. Remember we read about this in the Old Testament reading? Israel as a whole had turned away from God back in those days. Elijah runs away to a cave. God speaks to him. And he says, God, I'm the only one left. And God says, no. Verse 4. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God has kept a remnant. If you look on the screen there. That's just before that. Yeah, you see, let's imagine that's the... That's time going down. Right? Uh, and that's the whole nation of Israel. The next one. Next slide. And then in, see, in, within, in, within that nation, there's 
there's a remnant of those who are the true Israel, a remnant of those who really believe, who are really God's people. There's the there's the nation who are called God's people, then the that inside that there's the there's a subset who are, who are really God's people. Uh, we talked about this in, in chapter nine earlier. And and Paul says in verse five, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Even in the New Testament time there is there's still a remnant. A remnant a minority of the people of Israel who actually believe. And these people are well why are they there? Why are they believing and not the others? Which says they are chosen by grace. That is, God chooses them. They didn't choose himself, and it's by grace. It's not by their goodness or their efforts. It is God's undeserved, unmerited favor. It is God's kindness to the undeserving. Because Paul says in verse 6, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If it was by performance, it was because they were better than other, the rest of them, then it wasn't grace. Grace is by definition something you don't deserve. If you work for it, and therefore deserve it, then it's not grace. A couple of weeks ago we saw in chapter 9 that God chose Jacob and not Esau even before they were born. That was just God's choice. Not a random choice, a choice that he made, but a choice not based on them, but on him. And it's the same when anyone is saved. Ultimately, it's not because of what we do, but because of God's, God's grace, God's kindness, God's, God's choice before him. I don't know why God chose me, but I know it's because of God, not me. And so the remnant, what we would call the true Israel, although actually you've got to be careful to note, Paul doesn't call them them in this chapter. The remnant is chosen out of ethnic Israel, and that is by grace. When we looked at chapter 9, we asked the question, is that fair? Well, Paul asked the question, is that fair? And if you're wondering if that's fair, then go back and read chapter 9. Because that's where the Spirit addresses the issue. If you weren't there, the sermon is on the internet from two weeks ago. So what have we seen so far? Has God rejected his people? Well, no. It's always been the case as a remnant chosen by grace. The the, the elect are the chosen ones. And it is these people, not the, the ethnic Israelites, who really are the true people of God. Ethnic Israel did want to be right with God. They wanted righteousness, as we saw last week, but they wanted to achieve it by law-keeping. And so they missed out, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what they were seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Those whom God had chosen, they had they received the Messiah. They trusted in Jesus. They come under the king. 120 in the day of Pentecost and 3,000 coming in and 1,000 coming after that. But the rest, they were hardened. Again, we saw two weeks ago that God hardened some people's hearts and people hardened their own hearts and, and those two things are happening at the same time and God has mercy on those he wills he hardens those he wills and he's perfectly right to do that because he is God Paul's already dealt with the objections to that in chapter 9 so he doesn't talk about it he just goes on 
but he quotes two Old Testament passages that describes his hardening in their context. first one is in verse 8. God gave them a spirit of stupor that their eyes would not see, their ears would not hear, down to this very day. And that's from Isaiah 29 verse 10. And God is speaking about the Old Testament people that he's going to judge with the exile, and they weren't going to listen to the prophet's call to repent, because God had planned for them to be hard. So they would be punished for their sins. And the second quote is from Psalm 69, and it's verse 9 in our passage. David says, Let their table be a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And in Psalm 69, David is talking about those who oppress the Messiah. And he prays their eyes will be darkened so they cannot see him. And that's exactly what happened. Israel rejects the Messiah and God gives them eyes that are dark and blind and cannot see the truth about Jesus that is staring them in the face. And they stumble over the stumbling block, which is Christ. Now, all this is not new. We've already covered that. But the next bit, that's where he takes the next step. And that's where he begins to look into the future. That, that second answer. Uh, next, uh, in verse 11, he says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall. In other words, is the stumbling God's plan to, to remove the Jews permanently from his purpose? They trip so they've got to fall down. That's it. Finished. And what does he say? Again he says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Their rejection of Christ means that salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's the rest of us. Whenever the Jews rejected the gospel, the apostles took it to the Gentiles. And through their sin in rejecting Christ, the Gentiles got to hear the gospel. That's what Paul says in one sixteen: The Jews first, then for the Gentiles. And so their rejection of Christ has got a positive side effect. The Gentiles hear the gospel. They believe the gospel. And... Well, the gospel going to the Gentiles, the Gentiles coming under King Jesus, who is the, who is the Jewish Messiah, that is meant to make the Jews jealous. Not in a sinful kind of way, but in a positive kind of way. God wants the Jews to see the Gentiles believing in Jesus, coming under his kingship, and thinking, hey, hey, that's, that's, that's meant to be our king. We want to be in that as well. And salvation has gone to the nations, to us, for the sake of the Jews. If you jump down to verse 13, you'll see that's Paul's aim as well. Verse 13 he says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentile, inasmuch as I am the, an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. You see, God sent Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul wants to keep on telling the Jews what happens to the Gentiles about them coming in. And he will rub it into their face how the gospel has gone to the Gentiles and King Jesus, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises to the Jews, and now the Gentiles are getting all the benefits of it. And he wants the Jews to see that and say, hey, we want to be part of that as well. The fact that the Jews rejected the gospel is also good for the Gentiles for another reason. We'll see it in a moment. But when they come to accept the gospel... It's going to be even better. Verse 12, back to verse 12. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? 
It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If their failure to be God's people brought, actually brought great blessing, just imagine what it would be like if they, if they really were included in God's people. It would be even bigger blessing. And Paul makes the argument in verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Their rejection of well, God's rejection of them, let the Gentiles be reconciled to God, what's going to happen with their accepted? I'll tell you what happens, it says, life from the dead. What does that mean? It could mean that they would be saved, but then them being saved is not much greater than the whole world being saved. It could be metaphorical, saying, oh, great blessing, but then what's the blessing? But it's more likely it seems that life from the dead is talking about what? Resurrection, isn't it? Right? It's talking about the, the second coming. Uh, and that is consistent with the rest of the Bible. Remember what Peter says uh, when he speaks to Jews back in Acts 3, not long after the resurrection of Jesus. He scolds them for killing Jesus. And then he says this, coming up on the screen. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold, chapter 3, verse 17 onwards, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, Thus he fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn that your sin may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. See, the implication is when Israel repents, God will send Jesus to come again. And Peter's calling them to repent. But Israel, well, they didn't repent. And Jesus didn't come. And the gospel went out to the Gentiles, which actually was what God had preordained anyway. Which is why the hardening meant the gospel had the chance to come to Malaysia first. And their rejection meant salvation for us. Verse 15 again. If their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? When the Jews repent and are accepted by God, well, that's the time for the resurrection. That's the time for the second coming. That's the time for the final judgment. That's the time for glory. That's a great thing. Now, the fact that God saved the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's indicative of his plan to save their, his, their descendants. Verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. That's a normal expectation of things. God saves those guys, he's going he's to save their descendants. That's the plan. But in Israel's case, some of the branches are actually broken off. Um, Israel's pictured like an olive tree. Think of an olive tree. You think of cutting some of the branches and, well, they're removed. They're, they're not holy anymore. They're not connected to the root. And some of those who had naturally come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they'd, they'd been cut off. And then people from other trees, people from trees with no connection to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, are, are grafted in instead. You know what a grafting is? You, you cut from one tree cut another tree and then you put from this tree, tie it into this tree and then it grows together and becomes part of this tree. Yeah? 
And that is what's happened in, in Israel. We, from the Gentiles, have been taken out and crafted in to Israel. Become part of God's people, even though we weren't naturally there. And part of people who were naturally there have been cut off because they didn't believe in the Messiah. And Paul has a warning for us in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. We are the strange beneficiaries of God's promises to Abraham. Everything we've got actually comes from where? It comes from God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, fulfilled in Christ. And now we receive... Those were all Jewish blessings, you know. And now we've got it. We haven't... He says, look, the root supports you. You're getting all your nourishment from that. Don't be arrogant to the branches. Don't be. For the Jews to be under the Jewish Messiah, that ought to be a natural thing. It's still grace. They don't deserve it either. But it's normal grace, if I can put it badly. For the Gentiles to be in Christ, that's, that's, that's exceptional. That is utterly bizarre, extraordinary grace. Even more special kindness of God. We are the unexpectedly blessed ones. And the blessing we're getting is the blessing of Israel from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promises God made to them so we cannot look down on the Jews. We have to thank God that we have been grafted into their olive tree. And don't be conceited about the fact that you are in and many of them are out. Verse 19. Then he will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. If there were issues between Jew and Gentile in the churches Paul's writing to, he's telling the Gentiles, you don't go become all arrogant and look down on the Jews. We'll see a little bit more about the Jew-Gentile disputes a bit later on in chapter 14. You see, reflecting on the fact that God did not choose the majority of Israel, but chose us, who had nothing to do with Israel, should be a very sobering fact for us. Our connection to Christ and His promises is by faith. That's it. It's the only thing that matters. Even ethnicity, which is what Israel thought was the main game, well, it actually doesn't matter. It's, it's faith. You stand fast through faith, so be careful not to lose that faith. If God could remove the Israelites who were not genuinely his people from the vine, he can even more easily do the same for Christians, who in and of ourselves have no, even less claim to his promises. Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, 
neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So let me ask you, are you one of those Christians who isn't really a Christian? God did not spare the Israelites who were ethnically Israel, but were not Israel in heart. Might be someone who goes by the name Christian, come to church, get baptized, participate in the Lord's Supper. Maybe you attend a growth crew, maybe you're even a leader in the church, but your heart is far from God. Maybe you had some kind of religious experience before. So did the Jews. But you have not continued in God's kindness. No longer trusting in Christ. If that's you, then repent. And if there's any danger of that becoming you, if you feel yourself being drawn away from Jesus by something else, then you better do something about that real quick. Don't let it happen to you like happened to Israel. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Kindness to you and severity to those who have fallen. Kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. You keep on persevering in trusting him. Otherwise you'll be cut off like Israel. So, is there hope for ethnic Israel? Now that they've been cut off, many of them? Well, actually, yeah. What's that hope? We'll look at verse 23. Even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. They've been cut off so we can be grafted in, but God can graft them back. And the only hope for that is what? If they do not continue in their unbelief. That is, if they stop their unbelief, if they come to believe in Jesus as their Messiah, then they will be brought back. Providing they believe. You see, sometimes some people think there's two ways of salvation. One for the Jews, one for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are justified by faith in Jesus, and the Jews by observing the law, by being Jewish. Can that be right? No. We see what Jesus said already. We see it here again. There is no hope for salvation by works. Salvation is only through faith in Christ. But God can graft back into the olive tree the Jews who come to faith in Christ. Those who repent of their unbelief will come back and be part of that olive tree to which they most naturally belong. And can God do that? Can he really save the Jews? Oh yes he can. Verse 24. For you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? 
If God can bring us who are like from this wild olive tree in and make us part of this, the, the, his, his special tree, then if God can do that. There's no reason why he can't take his own branches from his tree and graft them back in. So why hadn't God done that already when Paul wrote this? Well, Paul tells them the mystery. The mystery is a secret that now is revealed. Verse 25, Lest you be wise in your own conceit, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Notice it is a partial hardening. Because remember what we said at the beginning, the remnant still believes. And it's a temporary hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. That is, we are to expect that when enough Gentiles have come into the kingdom, those whom God has chosen has come into the kingdom, then God will stop hardening and will start softening the Jews. And the result of this, in verse 26, is that all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Now, some people think that all Israel here simply means the true Israel. The true Israel being the Jews and the Gentiles who come under the kingship of Jesus, the Lord Christ. And so, you say, if that's the case, and the partial hardening is coming upon the ethnic Israel in verse 25, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and so all Israel, both Jew and Gentile believers together, will be saved. That's actually true. And it's quite safe, because we already know it's true from other parts of Scripture. But other people think that Paul is unlikely to have shifted the meaning of Israel from ethnic Israel to true Israel within one verse, without actually giving any hint of it. And you could argue in chapter 9, he says, not all Israel is Israel, and that's even within the same verse, but, but when you look at the whole section, when he talks about Israel in this section, he keeps on talking about ethnic Israel, doesn't he? Not, not actually using true Israel to talk about Israel. Israel to talk about the true Israel. And so it's really surprising if now he's suddenly talking about the true Israel. And so that is right, then the partial hardening has come upon ethnic Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then ethnic Israel will be receptive to the gospel, and this way all Israel, that is the majority of the people of ethnic Israel, will be saved. That also makes sense. Seems to fit the context a bit better. And it tells us something that we wouldn't have known outside of Romans 9, I think. Or Romans 11, rather. So, so which one is it? Do you want to take guesses? How many think all Israel is true Israel? Put your hand up. Okay, one. How many think all Israel is ethnic Israel? None. One. Okay. So it's one and one. At one level it doesn't matter, does it? Because um, uh, both also can fit, and both also doesn't actually necessarily change the, the meaning uh, if we follow what, what, what I've been talking about. Okay, so actually both doesn't matter. Um, 
But let me just see the next bit can help, and I'll try and argue from the next bit uh, for one, one or the other. Um, look at verse 26. In this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now that's from Isaiah 59 and 27 and possibly Jeremiah 31. It's all talking about how Jesus is going to come and save Israel, but even that you could read either way. But not the them in verse 27. Who does the them refer to? All Israel, isn't it? Right? Because he says in verse 26, in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, this will be my covenant with them. Alright? Okay. Now, compare verse 27 and 28. Verse 27, this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. Now, the word they in verse 28 seems to me to be referring to the same people as verse 27's them. Now, actually, let me tell you. In the Greek, the word they is not actually there. Okay? It's not actually there uh, because it's within the verb itself. Right? But the, it's not explicit, but, but the point remains. That is, verse 27, verse 28, the people that are described in verse 28 seem to be the people that the them refers to in verse 27. You okay with that? Now, in verse 28, if it's the same group, are they ethnic Israel or true Israel? Ethnic Israel. Right? Because as regards the gospel, they are your enemies, for God's sake. So if that... If verse 28 is ethnic Israel, then it's likely verse 27 is ethnic Israel, which means verse 26 should be ethnic Israel. When it says all Israel in verse 26, it seems to refer to the majority of ethnic Jews. It doesn't necessarily mean every single ethnic Jew. Uh, When the Old Testament says in 2 Samuel 16 that Absalom went into his father concubines in the sight of all Israel, it doesn't mean that every man, woman and child was watching his sort of behavior. It means it was generally known. And similarly, all Israel, that's not necessarily every individual in ethnic Israel, it's just generally ethnic Israel as a whole. And that actually fits in with the whole context of the passage. So, so what have we worked out? We've seen that a partial hardening has come upon Israel, that is ethnic Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and after that, Israel will be receptive to the gospel, and then that way, the majority of the people in ethnic Israel will be saved. So, does that mean we should all go and evangelize Jews? Right, because that's God's plan, isn't it? The Jews will be saved. So forget Malaysia, let's go find a place where there are lots of Jews. Well, look carefully. Ethnic Israel is going to be softened when? When the full number of the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, comes in. So what's the sort of strategic thing you can do for Jewish evangelism? Preach the gospel to Malaysians, isn't it? We go and do that. Paul goes to talk more and more, goes on to talk more about the relationship between the ethnic Israel of his day and the true people of God. 
So we could pick up again in verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Right? Since they don't believe the gospel, they're, they're God's enemies. And God made it that way for our sake, for the sake of the Gentiles, so the gospel will go to us. But with regards to election, they are loved by God for the sake of their forefathers. That is, God hasn't forgotten his promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He still loves their descendants. He still remembers his promises to them. He still intends to save them as a nation by bringing them to faith in Jesus. And when that happens, they will no longer be enemies of God. Verse 30 summarizes it. He says, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, you Gentiles, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, they too have now become disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now also receive mercy. We who were disobedient got mercy from God because they were disobedient and the gospel came to us. Surprising, not expected. But it was God's plan. So he can be merciful to us who don't deserve it. Yet their disobedience wasn't just for us, it's also for them, because through God's mercies to us, the gospel will go back to them. And so it's for God to show their mercy through the mercy he's shown to us. And so one reason why God has been merciful to us is so the gospel will come from us back to, back to the Jews. And the Jews who don't deserve it, well, God would then have mercy on them. And so both of us is actually from God's mercy. But verse 32, it says, For God has consigned all, that is both Jew and Gentile, to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. See? Gentiles are disobedient. God says it's not disobedience. The Jews reject Christ, disobedient. God is going to save them from their disobedience. And then you see that both sides is going to be God's mercy seen. And God's mercy seen for what it is. His gracious kindness in saving undeserving, unexpected people. People like us today. People like the Jews of the future. Does that mean that we will be able to time Jesus' return by the number of Jews who come in. Can we say Jesus is not going to return tomorrow because we haven't seen an influx of Jews yet? I don't think so, because Jesus says we won't know the time of his return. And we're going to be ready any time. See, we don't actually know how many Jews there are and where they live. When you talk about Jews, people normally think of that country in the Middle East, but actually ethnic Jews are scattered through the world. There are Jews in Africa, mixed with Africans, look African. The Jews in Europe who have become part of the Europeans, I'm sure there's Jews in other places as well. And even in Snack, if I had to guess, I would say at least we've had five regulars with Jewish blood in them over our short lifetime. Possibly more. So we don't know what God is doing. We don't know how many Jews he's brought in. We don't know what percentage of the descendants of Jacob are out there who come into Christ. Maybe we'll notice when many Jews believe. Maybe we won't. It doesn't matter. 
Because God is keeping his promises. He will keep his promises. We have to be ready for the coming of Jesus at any time. So, what have we seen today? Romans 11, Paul's answering that question, Has God rejected his people Israel? And the answer is no. On the one hand, God has always kept a remnant, a minority of Jews that he has chosen, who will trust in him. And he does that even today. But on the other hand, God plans to save the majority of ethnic Israel one day. The day will come when the full number of Gentiles he has chosen will come into the kingdom. Now, we've only been given a, a bit of insight into God's plan. There's lots more that we don't know. Lots of questions we have for him. But that's okay. Not to know, because he is God and we are not. But he's told us what we need to know. God is faithful to his promises. The gospel must go out to all the nations. Jesus is the only way of salvation for Gentiles and Jews. And even Israel's rejection is not outside God's plan. For God is working out his purposes so his mercy both to Gentiles and Jews can be clearly seen to the glory of his name. So what can we say then? We can only echo Paul's words of doxology in verse 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We were once so far away, part of wild olive trees, not part of your people, but you have cut us off and grafted us in, made us part of your people Israel, have from the have all the benefits of the promises that you've made to those who are now our forefathers. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. Thank you for this rich and precious heritage that is now ours. This root from which we are nourished. We thank you that all your promises have come true in Christ and that we are in him. And Lord, we pray that we will not be arrogant but we will be always cognizant of your, your great mercy to us in bringing us to become part of this tree. And have us not look down on the branches that are cut off, but to remember that we need to persevere in trusting in Christ. And we pray that if there's any one of us here who is wandering away, who is in danger of 
of just being a Christian by name and not in reality. Oh, have mercy on us, we pray. And draw us to your Son. May we trust in him and not be like Israel, who was cut off. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to keep trusting your promises, to keep looking forward to your plans and purposes, because we know that you are achieving all the things that you set out to. And in the end, you will bring us together, Jew and Gentile, around the throne of your Son, in the perfection of your glorious kingdom, in a new heaven and new earth, where death is no more. And forever we will praise you for your mercy to us, that you have so clearly shown to the undeserving and disobedient. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.